podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Friday, the 22nd of April, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change location and access things you're otherwise geo-blocked from. For example, Irish expats wanting access to GAA Go or RT Player, UK expats wanting access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four or American expats wanting to get American Netflix or Hulu or HBO, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you want to be and keep your data safe from the miscreants. Go to libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout, be it the hardware package, which is a router that's sent to you, or the software package that you can download directly to your device. LibertyShield.com, EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shop, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we had one game in the Premier League last night. Burnley 2, Southampton 0. Southampton are one of the weirdest teams ever. Lost 6-0 to Chelsea, then beat Arsenal, and then lose to Burnley. Burnley played good football. Burnley actually played really good, incisive passing football. And their first goal by Conor Roberts on 12 minutes was as a result of some really nice football And then Roberts picks the ball up, cuts in on his left foot and curls the ball from about 20 yards into the far corner. It's probably the best goal Burnley have scored in eight years. Conor Roberts doubled the advantage on 44 minutes with a header from a set piece. Vuk Veghorst in between them missed a golden opportunity. Burnley should have gone in 3-0 up at half time. Fraser Forster, once again, the only thing standing between Southampton and embarrassment second half played out as it played out Burnley were comfortable Saints had a couple of half chances but never looked like scoring Burnley get the massive win the win they needed to keep pace with Everton they're now a point behind the Blues with a better goal difference Everton obviously have a game in hand but Burnley have an easier run in Burnley have six games left Wolves at home Watford away, Villa at home, Spurs away, Villa away, Newcastle at home. I think there's three winnable games and a draw in there for them. I think they can take 10 points from the remaining six games. Huge game this Sunday. If they get a point from the Wolves game, Everton will find out 45 minutes before they play Liverpool that they're now in the bottom three for the first time. And I think that could have a catastrophic effect 
on their mentality. I think Burnley can go and beat Watford. I think they could beat Wolves. But say they get a point, I think they can go and beat Watford and I think they can beat Villa at home. Wouldn't expect them to get anything at Spurs or away to Villa. But Newcastle home on the final day of the season, Newcastle would likely nothing to play for. That's a game I think Burnley win. Especially with that crowd behind them, knowing that they need to win to stay up. Everton, Liverpool away, Chelsea home. I know Chelsea's form has been patchy, but Chelsea's away form is better than the home form. Leicester away. Leicester will want revenge after what happened the other night. Throwing away a win in the last minute. Then they go to Watford. Now, Watford beat them comfortably earlier in the season. It wouldn't surprise me if Watford beat them again, but say they get nothing from the next three games. They beat Watford, they beat Brentford potentially at home, and they beat Palace at home. And again, I don't think either of those are givens. Then they'd go into the final day of the season. They'd be three points up on Burnley, but they'd have a worse goal differential, and they'd be playing Arsenal away while Burnley are playing Newcastle at home. And Arsenal will probably need the win in the chase for top four. Does anyone think they get anything there? I think there's four games they get nothing from and three they can get something from. But I'm not sure they take nine points. I'm not sure Burnley take 10. But I would back Burnley to take 10 more quickly than I would back Everton to take nine. I still think Everton are going down. Massive win for Burnley last night. Really does force the pressure back onto Everton. And if they can get a result at home to Wolves this weekend, then Everton could be in big trouble. If Burnley win that game and have a two-point advantage and say they beat Watford and beat Villa while Everton are losing games to Liverpool, Chelsea and Leicester, Burnley could be eight points clear of Everton in a couple of weeks. Everton would have four games left. Burnley would have three. Does anyone really think they come back from that? If it's five points? I don't think they come back from five behind, let alone eight. I don't think they'll have the mentality or the toughness. I don't think they've got the manager. And we hear a lot, we've heard from Jamie Carragher about the power of Goodison. There is no ground in England that can be more toxic than Old Trafford, than Old Trafford, than Goodison. Old Trafford can be bad, but then Goodison. Like that could be a properly vile place to play. And if their venom is turned on Everton, then all of a sudden, I just don't see it. I don't see how they stay up. Lewis Hamilton has spoken about how it would be a dream to be involved in a takeover of Chelsea. So allegedly, Serena Williams and Lewis Hamilton have pledged to be part of one of the bids. Now, my assumption here 
is that it's the Martin Broughton Consortium, which has about 25 people involved already. What this is, this is an attempt at star power. This is because the Todd Bowley group is the current favourite among the Chelsea fans. This attempt to attach star power to the bid is an attempt to get some of the fans back on side, to wow people. Neither of them would have any involvement in the day-to-day running or any decision-making at Chelsea. Neither of them would be... I mean, I don't even know if you'd class them as minority owners because in all likelihood, they'd own less than 1%. Like, if Chelsea's going to go for $3 billion, Two and a half to three billion. One percent is twenty-five million. Are either of them putting twenty-five million in? I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. So this is so guys telling me it's ten million each. So between them, they'd own less than one percent. Between them, they'd own less. Each of them would own less than half a percent. This is just about star power. And I saw somebody say, oh, this would mean that they'd be the first black owners in Premier League history. Well, LeBron James owns a very small part of Liverpool. So that wouldn't be true either. And LeBron James actually has no involvement with Liverpool other than sort of commercial dealings but in terms of his investment in Fenway Sports Group he's actually more of a decision maker than either of these two would be it would be great to see Lewis Hamilton and Serena Williams involved you know having whatever sort of ambassadorial roles that they would have but let's not call them owners. Let's not. Let's not go that far. They will help Chelsea grow their brand. And that's probably what it's all about because the long and the short of it is Chelsea's brand doesn't compare to that of Liverpool, United or Arsenal. Chelsea's brand is in the next tier, which means that as a football club, they're going to be in the next tier when they can't just spend Roman's billions. They're going to be a financially secure club. They're not going to overspend. They're no longer going to allow losses of a half million pound a week. They're going to be diligent. They're going to be careful. They're going to be cautious in everything they do. Profit and loss will matter. Making the club sustainable will be the order of the day. To do that, they need to grow the brand. You grow the brand by having these connections to megastars. Serena Williams is the greatest female tennis player of all time. And Lewis Hamilton may end his career as the most successful Formula One driver of all time. Now, he'll never be, in my view, the best driver of all time because he's had an enormous advantage of just having the best car. I think if you put everybody in the best car over the last decade, maybe he's got two titles. He certainly doesn't have seven. He'll never be Schumacher. 
He'll never be Prost. He'll never be Senna. It's not his fault. He's very, very good. He's great. But I don't think he's in that upper echelon of the, of the truly elite drivers we've seen over the years. It's just my view on it. Formula One lunatics will think otherwise. That's fine. I, I don't care. But it is what it is. Manchester United obviously have announced their new manager. It is Eric Ten Hag. And there is a piece here on the BBC website talking about what it means for the club, what he's going to bring to the club, what sort of impact he can have. Guillaume Balaga says it'll take three years, more than three years to make an impact. I don't think he'll get more than three years. James Honecastle says, for decades, English footballers, English footballers judge managers on personalities as well as results. Look at Unai Emery. He had repeated success, but was mocked and ridiculed on social media, especially in the English press. Does Ten Hag have that personality? That's an interesting question. Marcel van der Kran, who's a Dutch journalist, no big Dutch manager has ever turned things majorly in the Premier League. This is true. Gus Hiddink did okay. Louis van Gaal did not. We saw what happened when Frank de Boer came over. We saw what happened when Philippe Koku came over. Didn't work. Julian Lorenz says that Cristiano Ronaldo would have to leave. Yeah, Martin... Guy is right, Martin Yole, probably the best Dutch manager the Premier League has seen. He was average. Average. Uh, Julian Lorenz says Cristiano would have to leave for Ten Hag to work. I think that's right. And Balaga says Ten Hag doesn't fit this Manchester United right now. I believe that's true. And I don't just think it's about Cristiano. I think it's about the goalkeeper. I think it's about the captain. The lack of midfield. There's not a whole bunch of pace in the squad. Outside of Rashford, who would you look at and say he's lightning quick? Varane used to be, not anymore. Wan-Bissaka is quick. That's kind of it. That's kind of it. Manchester United fans have had their say. Uh, the BBC did a piece with, with four fans, one from United People's TV, one from two from the Stratford Paddock, and one from Stretty News. Um, one of them said he will be the first boss since Alex Ferguson that other clubs, other clubs will be genuinely fearful of. I'm not sure that's true at all. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think anybody's going to be scared of him. One said, we've had big name managers, but this is different. Ten Hag wants to build foundations. He recognizes it won't change in one season. It'll take time. This is something you've interpreted. This is not something he said. Wants to build foundations. What foundations has he ever built? The foundations of Ajax have been there since the 80s, the 70s. He inherited a good team. Look at Mikel Arteta and Jurgen Klopp. You lose all respect for me when you try and put Mikel Arteta in the same 
conversation as Jurgen Klopp. I tweeted in the latter stages of Solskjaer's reign that I wanted Ranić to replace him before heading upstairs and Ten Hag to arrive in the summer. I'm, it's fair to say I'm delighted with how United's set up a look. Ten Hag is not heading, or Ranić is not heading upstairs. He's heading away. He's heading, he's leaving the club. He is not working for Manchester United next season. He is consulting via his consultancy firm. I don't know how many times United fans need to be told this. Ralph Ranić had at Lokomotiv Moscow, but where, by the way, they were delighted to let him go to the point that they didn't even ask United for compensation for him. He signed a three-year deal to be their director, a sporting director. He left after six months and they did not ask for compensation. That tells you everything you need to know. He got a six-month contract to manage United. He had two further years then that would have been outstanding on his locomotive Moscow contract. So United agreed to a consultancy contract with him. That does not mean he works upstairs. It means he will live in Germany and he will phone it in and nobody will listen to him. He had no involvement in the hiring of this manager. That has now been reported. This was made by Darren Fletcher, by John Murtaugh, and by Richard Arnold, not by Ralph Ranić. Ralph Ranić would not have picked him. Regardless of what your favourite local journalist tells you, this would not have been Ranić's choice. United fans need to settle down. Further down, they say there shouldn't be high expectations. But there's always going to be high expectations at United because it's United. United under Ten Hag should be a flexible 4-2-3-1. He's played 4-3-3 just as much as he's played 4-2-3-1. I can't see United winning the league for at least three years, says one of them. Well, then Eric Ten Hag will be out of a job. And you're right, United won't win the league for at least three years. They won't win the league for at least five years because they're miles behind. They're miles and miles behind. The gap from United to Chelsea is vast. The gap from Chelsea to City and Liverpool is enormous. United aren't even on the same level as Spurs right now. They're just not. And a big part of it is their structure. Spurs have had just as chaotic a season as United. But unlike United, when Spurs sacked Nuno, they went and got best in class on a permanent deal. United appointed a fella who hadn't been a full-time manager in a decade and wasn't a great manager before that anyway. Here's a good one. What would success look like for next season? Expectations should be low. A prolonged run in two domestic cup competitions and a top four would finish would be a great start. So basically what Ollie was doing, 
just to confirm. If United are in the Europa League, given Ten Hag's experience in that competition, it could be the trophy to target. Given Ten Hag's experience in the competition. That's what that man just said. So, in 1718, Ten Hag took over after Ajax had already been eliminated in the qualifying round of the Champions League and the playoff round of the Europa League. So they didn't actually get into the Europa League either. They didn't play in the Europa League in his first full season. In his second season, they went into the Champions League at the group stage and were eliminated from the Europa League in the round of 32. So the first time they could play, out they went. The following year, again, they went out of the Champions League in the group stage. This doesn't read well, by the way. Then they went into the Europa League and they got knocked out in the quarterfinals. So they didn't even get to the last eight. And this season, they didn't play in the Europa League. He has won two Europa League knockout rounds in his career against Lille and against Ajax. Lille, who, by the way, had no interest in that competition because they were trying to win the French League, and Young Boys. And then they got beaten by Roma, a bad Roma team. So what experience does he have? What experience does he have in this competition? That means it's the competition to target. He got knocked out by Hitafe in 1920. Hitafe, not, not a juggernaut. In a Champions League group with a bad Valencia team, Chelsea and Lille the year before they won the title, he finished third. That was 1920. Last season, his Champions League group was Liverpool, Atalanta and Mitlian. And again, he finished third. It's not impressive. It's not very impressive at all. He did really well in the Champions League this season until they faced Benfica in the first knockout round. And then they were dumped out. His European record has been held up by some as this example of why he's one of the top up-and-coming managers in world football. But if we dig into it, it's not great. It's not great at all. Even the year they did well and got to the semi-final, they beat Sturmgratz, Standard Liège, and Dinamo Kiev in the qualifiers. Is there anyone there they shouldn't beat? In the group stage, they had Bayern, they had Benfica, and they had AEK Athens. It's a bad Benfica team in 1819. Not really a team that you were going to be overly worried about. They won the league in Portugal that year, but they weren't a particularly good team. In the knockout phases, they were really impressive. They beat Real Madrid, they beat Juve. And then they lost to Spurs. They choked against Spurs. They bottled it. Does anyone think they would have beaten Liverpool in the final? Really? Like when you're 2-1 up at home, 2-0 up at home, 2-1 on aggregate, and there's 35 minutes left, 
you shouldn't be going out. You shouldn't be going out at all. I'm sorry. They were 3 0 up. They were 3 0 up against Spurs. A Spurs with no Harry Kane. 3 0 up on aggregate at home with 35 minutes left. And you found a way to lose. You found a way to lose. Like I said, really impressive to beat Real and, and Ajax. You know, you came out of the group ahead of Benfica. Congrats, they weren't great. AEK Athens were garbage. You beat powder puff teams in the knockout phases. There's nothing here other than those two games against Real and, and Ajax. That, and away to Spurs, you were really good. But outside of that, there's nothing that impresses me. Nothing. And remember, that Real game... Isn't that the, the the game where in the first leg, Ramos got himself booked and was suspended for the second leg because he just assumed, having beaten you 2-1 at your place, yeah, Ramos got booked in the 90th minute, missed the second leg. It looked like a purposeful booking because he thought they were through. Real didn't really take Ajax seriously. To their detriment. That's not an Ajax problem. That's a, a Real problem. But still. And in their home games in the Champions League that season, in the knockouts, they lost to Ajax, then drew with, with Juve. Their away form was what was impressive because they lost to Spurs as well, obviously. Their away form was what was really impressive. They beat Spurs, Juve and Real away from home. Anyway, I, I, I just... I, I don't see how... Look, getting a new manager is exciting, and obviously you're going to hype it up because if it's your club, it's your club, and you want to believe that they're moving in the right direction, but... I would just advise a lot of caution about getting too excited about what Ten Hag can do. Because the only real evidence we have of him as a manager is Ajax. We're not going to factor in Utrecht because why would we? And at Ajax, he has done well, but in a very good structure, a really good environment with an academy that always produces players, with an emphasis put on recruitment and analytical-based recruitment and an emphasis on youth development where you're not expected necessarily to win the Champions League or to even do all that well in it. Getting into it, getting some money from the group stages, if you can get to the knockout stages, great. They'll be happy enough with having gotten knocked out in the round of 16 this year. And it's a weak league. Frank De Boer won it four times in three and a half years. So I, I just don't know what we can take from that. And he's walking into chaos. I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know that there's many managers that I would say could walk into United now and fix them. Because when we look at the top managers, one of the things they do when picking their next club is they look at the structure of the club. They look at 
the decision makers above them, they look at each individual department and how strong they are and how much they can contribute to the overall goal. I don't think Klopp would take the job. If he did, I don't know that he'd be successful. I wouldn't say he wouldn't be because it's Jurgen Klopp, but I don't know that he would be. I know that if Klopp went into the City job, he'd be successful. If he'd taken the Arsenal job, he'd be successful. He'd be successful at Inter Milan, at Juventus, at Bayern Munich, at Real Madrid. Pep Guardiola, exactly the same. He'd be successful at Liverpool, at Chelsea, at Bayern. He's already was successful at Bayern, at Juventus, at Inter. I know that they would be successful at those clubs. I don't know that either would be successful at Manchester United. I think Antonio Conte would end up probably deceased after six months because of the ineptitude around him. The only manager I can think of, elite level, truly great manager that I can think of right now in world football who might just be able to thrive in chaos is Diego Simeone. Because Diego Simeone walked into a club at Atletico Madrid who were historically chaotic, historically one of the worst-run clubs in Europe, a laughingstock for decades, spent themselves into oblivion to win a title in the 90s and found themselves relegated a couple of years later. Just a mess of a club. But he thrived in that environment. He's the only one I can think of. And United fans wouldn't want him because they, they don't like his style of football. Because they're snobs. Guy wins everywhere. But you're snobs and you don't want his style of football. I, I just don't know that Ten Hag is the type of manager with the type of personality to thrive in that environment. And his style of football, like the thing with Simeone is, you give him 11 lads, and as long as one of them is a competent goalkeeper, he can make a team out of them. Because his football, the way he sets his team up, doesn't require each individual to give him an 8 out of 10 performance every single week. He can get 9, 6 out of 10s and 2, 8 out of 10s and win football matches because of his style of football. Because all he needs is people to just do their job. He doesn't need them to do anything outside of the box he gives them. Just do your job. And if we get two guys who do a little bit more, we'll win a football match. With Ten Hag, I sort of feel like his style of football needs 11 lads giving you 8 out of 10, 7 at a very bare minimum. But you've got to have a couple of eights, four or five, and you've got to have at least one or two nines. You've got to have players doing more. They have to be at a high level in his style of football because he's more demanding on the players in terms of their on-ball work. Simeone is very demanding off-ball, but most of that is down to concentration. He takes a lot of the decision-making away. Ten Hag needs his team to make the right decisions and then do the right thing with the ball, play the right pass and play it properly. Because if you misplace a pass in how Ten Hag plays, 
you're all of a sudden open to a counter-attack. If you miss a misplace a pass in a Simeone team, there's six lads behind you, so you're fine. Atletico Madrid very rarely get caught in a counter-attack. Ajax do. So it's going to take an awful lot, an awful lot, for Eric Ten Hag to turn Manchester United around. A lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of patience. And I don't know that he'll get any of the three. He'll get money. I don't know how that he'll get a lot of money. I sort of feel like when you go for Ten Hag, one of the things you're wanting is youth development. And you're wanting to maximize your academy. And I don't know that their academy is good enough to prop up the first team at this point. It has been in the past, obviously, but I don't know that it is now. I don't know that there's those elite level players in that academy at the minute, ready to step up, maybe in a year or two, but not now. I think we're going to, I've seen a lot of United fans say, United need to sign a right winger this summer. That's what you said last year and you signed Sancho. Like, if they're going to play a right winger this year, I expect, I've seen people say we need to sign Anthony from Ajax. You've got Ahmed Diallo. That's who's going to play. I'd be stunned if one of the things he's been told isn't Ahmed Diallo, Palestri. These guys are part of your first team. These guys have to play. We've invested heavily in them. You need to make it work. We'll do the gossip, then we'll take a break. We'll bring in Guy to go through this week's Premier League games. Barcelona could move for Marcus Rashford. They could, but they won't. Manchester United could sell Rashford, Martial, Wan-Bissaka, Bailly, Jones and Tellez this summer. Of course, they could sell them. In all likelihood, they won't sell any more than one of them. I think Jones goes. I think that's about it. I think Tellez stays. I think Bailly probably stays. You're not selling Wan-Bissaka unless you're willing to take a massive, massive loss. I don't know who's going to be in for Martial, but I, I could see. I actually think he could work under Ten Hag. I do. I think he could actually work and do well under Ten Hag. Uh, Declan Rice is high on Ten Hag's wish list, wish list which isn't surprising. Isn't surprising at all. Uh, Netherlands midfielder Donny van der Beek is set to be handed the chance to revive his old traffic career. He is the biggest winner of all of this. A new centre-back, two midfielders, a winger and a striker will be United's top priority. So basically half a team. And the problem there is you can go and sign. Let's Let's just play some fantasy football here. Let's say United go out this summer and they sign... Jules Conde for 70 million, Declan Rice for 100 million, Ruben Neves for 40 million, Rafinha for 60 million, and Darwin Nunes for 60 million. Now, they're not going to do all that, but let's just say they did. Let's just say they went and they splurged whatever that was, 300, over 300 million. And that's the team. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got. Uh, Kunde and Varane as your centre-backs and Shaw as your left-back and Neves and and Rice in midfield and you've got Sancho one wing, Bruno the other. Uh, Bruno is the 10, Rafinha and Darwin Nunes up front. 
you still don't have a, a right back and you don't have a goalkeeper that can play in the way your manager wants you to play. So it's a castle built on sand and you're going to lose a season while all of them settle in. Maybe you go the following season, you spend another big ball of money, but you're still going to be a mile away. You're still going to be a mile away. Uh, Manchester United have refused Ten Hag's request to bring in Steve McLaren. I believe that was, I believe that's incorrect. I, I, as far as I know, they did initially push back on it and then gave into it. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Bruges boss Alfred Schroeder is the leading candidate to replace Ten Hag at Ajax. That's an interesting one. Uh, he's also bold, which I think is, is important here. Um, he's worked at Ajax before as a as a um, an assistant. He's worked at Hoffenheim. He was an assistant at 20. I assume under Steve McLaren. Yeah, under Steve McLaren. Uh, he began his career at Vitas Arnhem as an assistant. Was that under Louis van Gaal? He was briefly the Hoffenheim manager. It was uh, it was not good. It was not good. He was the Ajax assistant manager under Ronald Koeman. That didn't go well. Uh, this poor man has had a tough time. <laughs> this, this poor fellow's had a tough time. Uh, but he's done well at Bruges since taking over in January. He's won 11 of his 15 games in charge. Uh, you wouldn't put it past him to go to... Ajax and win the title because it's the area division. It's, it's it's not really a, a tough league to win. Um, he's currently second in the Belgian league. The Belgian league is currently into the playoffs. It does look like Union SG are probably the favourites to win it. But we'll see. Real Madrid and Wales forward Gareth Bale is in talks over a move to DC United. Not sure what the golf courses are like around the Washington DC area, but I'm sure there's a couple of good ones. There's a lot of politicians there, so there's probably some good golf courses. RB Leipzig have again insisted that Christopher Nkunku will still be their player next season. Despite interest from Manchester United and Arsenal, he's not going to go to either because they're not in the Champions League. And then, well, they may be, but it doesn't look likely. Crystal Palace and Borussia Mönchengladbach are interested in Eddie and Ketty. I think it'd be a good signing for either. I think Brighton should be involved in that as well. Uh, Burnley have made Wales manager Robert Page the number one target. It's from 90minute.com. I don't believe it. Um, AC Milan could move for Romelu Lukaku. I don't think he'd go there. I do think he actually cares about Inter Milan. Um, some crap Spanish outlet says Christian Eriksen's agreed to rejoin Spurs. Everton have joined Tottenham in the race to sign Sam Johnston, perhaps preparing for Pickford to go. Real Madrid are monitoring Bruno Gomerish. Let me just assure you, he won't be for sale this year. The Shiktas and Turkey left back Ridvan Yilmaz is being eyed by Tottenham. They have a better left back than that already. Aston Villa manager Steven Gerrard was at the recent Marseille nonce game to cast an eye over Bubakar Kamara. He'd be a, an incredibly good signing for them. 
they are desperately in need of a good holding midfielder and he would be a really, really good addition. But I do think he might have a better offer from somewhere. I'd love to see Villa land him, but I do think he might get better offers. Uh, Angel Di Maria is wanted by Juventus. Of course he is. He's on a free transfer. So that means Juventus have to be involved. Villa are keen to make the signing of the loan signing of Robin Olsen permanent. Good, good decision. Good decision. He is a good keeper and a solid backup to Emmy Martinez. Aberdeen right back Calvin Ramsey has been monitored by Liverpool following an impressive breakthrough season. He's super talented and would make quite a bit of sense for Liverpool. Manchester City and Newcastle are both pursuing a move for Rangers midfielder Alex Lowry, as are Liverpool. And Leicester are trying to beat Tottenham to the signing of Glayson Bremer. At Tottenham, I could see it working. It would be a little bit too aggressive for my liking, but as long as that third left-footed one has a bit of common sense and can cover across and sweep, it could work. At Leicester, I think he'd be an unmitigated disaster. He's not good in a four, and it's Rodgers. So it, it, it's Rodgers. It's all it, it, that's enough. We'll leave it there. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will be joined by Mr. Drinkle. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So, I am joined now by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am very good, Dave. How are you? I am tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, I've reached the age of my life where attempting to put on my shoe caused me to twist my back, and it's been hurting me now for about a day. But, you know, Beautiful. you have that. You have that once you get old. Uh, you have all of it to look forward to, so don't worry. Down, myself and... I will be getting slip-on shoes, don't you worry. See, that's what I should probably do. Yeah. I believe our good friend, Mr. Downey, only owns slip-on shoes to avoid such... Just sandals. Just sandals. Yeah. Sandals. You reckon Trev wears socks with his sandals? Is he that no, guy? In the, in the winter. Yeah, in the winter, definitely. In the winter, you can't really blame the fellow. Yeah. But if he's wearing them in the summer now, that's, that's a faux pas. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, enough downy abuse on this podcast. The man was digging his. To be fair to him, he's out throwing a shovel around his garden yesterday. I think if I tried to do that, my spine might leave my body at the minute. But you know, fair play. Um, we have some Premier League games this weekend. We do indeed, and we start with quite a big one in terms of the top four race. And I can only compare this top four race to an egg and spoon race where everyone fell into their own egg four months ago, and now I've just been running covered in egg. So, yeah, the, let's get into Arsenal Man United, the egg and spoon race, which has just gone wrong. This has gone wrong. It has gone badly wrong. Now, I was thinking about this last night. If we... I, I always say that I think this was the best rivalry of the Premier League era. People talk about Liverpool and City. There's not enough needle in it for me. I'm sorry. I'm just old school. I want to see needle. I want to see dislike. I want to see 
individual battles that rage Trapping in the tunnel. Of the game. Yeah, I, w- I want to see pizzas being thrown at people's heads. Like, when we think back 97 to about 04, that sort of run, United versus Arsenal, Ferguson versus Wenger, Keane versus Vieira, like, these battles were bigger than just the game. They didn't like each other off the pitch. Ferguson, every time he was interviewed, would throw some sort of needle at Wenger. Wenger, every time he was interviewed, would find a way to get a dig in at Ferguson. You could be asking him about anything, and he'd find a way to get a dig at Ferguson. These just didn't like each other, and their games, the build-up to them was intense. It would be weeks of build-up. Even as a neutral fan, when the fixtures would come out, you'd circle United Arsenal, both games. And when they draw each other in the cup, you'd make sure you were going to watch that game. I'm sure people do the same for Liverpool City, but it's more about the football. It's more about just the the, the quality of football. This went beyond that. This was actual dislike and rivalry. Liverpool City is competition. This was rivalry. And it was just incredible. If... The only people that try and claim it's not the best rivalry of the Premier League era just didn't live it. I'm sorry. You just didn't live through it. It was immense. So when we look at them now, they're obviously two kind of sorry stories. Both of them are in different phases of rebuilds. Arsenal committed to theirs quite quickly after Wenger left. They had the Unai Emery type of thing, and then they went into a rebuild mode. Now, unfortunately, I think they've got the wrong personnel but they at least committed to it. United haven't committed to a rebuild. Now, maybe under Ten Hag they will, but to date what they've tried to do is buy a team and have instantaneous success and then wonder why it hasn't worked. United go into this game, Fred is a doubt, Varane is back, Cristiano should be back. Well, he should be available Whether he wants to play or not is a different thing, and I certainly wouldn't blame him if he didn't, if he didn't feel up to it. Uh, Luke Shaw is out, Pogba is out, and actually it looks like Pogba may not play for United again, so there's that. Uh, Obviously Greenwood is out, and Cavani just doesn't want to play anymore. So United have injury problems. They've got issues. Arsenal, Tomiyasu is back in training. They said that it's a wait and see with him. Kieran Tierney and Thomas Partey look like they're done for the season, so that's two big blows. Arsenal come into the game having gotten a big win against Chelsea in midweek. That's a confidence booster for them. United got walloped by Liverpool. Now, this can work two ways. Either Arsenal are full of confidence and United are just completely distraught at what happened to them, and Arsenal can beat them. Or United come in with a chip on their shoulder, desperate to prove that they're because the backlash that they've faced in the last few days has been unlike anything they've gotten before that. Like the amount of criticism that team has received over the last three, four days has been beyond what I expected. And I expected them to get a lot. So maybe they come in and want to prove something. Both teams are in fairly poor form across the last five games, only two wins each. Uh, United have taken seven points, Arsenal have taken six. I'm going to back the Arsenal win because they're at home. It's the early kickoff. And I think it means more to them. Like 
for both sides, it's been a disappointing season, but for different reasons. Arsenal's only ambition this year was to challenge for top four. And to their credit, they have done that. The reason I say it's disappointing is because they've lost 11 games. And truth be told, given how bad United have been and how bad Spurs have been this season, and to a lesser extent how, how bad Chelsea have been, the fact that Arsenal aren't third in the league is disappointing to me because it was wide open. They should at least be fourth and three to four points clear of Tottenham. It's a disappointment to me that they're not. Now, I didn't think they would be, but I think that should be a disappointment to them anyway. United came into the season, people were talking about them as title challengers. And they're sixth and 23 points off the top with a game more played. So they're 26 points off the top, really. 25 points off second when Liverpool win their game in hand. So uh, it's a disaster of a season. Uh, I'll go Arsenal to win. I think it could be a fairly meh game of football. United's probably only real hope is Cristiano gets a couple of goals here, that he plays and gets a couple of goals, looking, feeling a bit inspired by what's gone on and wanting to, you know, to do his very best. But they look hopeless at the minute. I'll I'll go the Arsenal win. I'll go I'll go three one to the Arsenal. Yeah, I think I think what you've said there is right. I think Arsenal, even though they've had a bit of a difficult spell pre-Chelsea, they still look more competent, probably the word for it, whereas United, I mean, they made a game of Norwich, man. <laughs> Shouldn't be the case, regardless. Who's they made a game of Norwich after going two up. They made a game against Watford, who were garbage on the day and drew nil-nil. They, they, it's tough for United to beat anybody at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but we'll move on to the next uh, games. Um, these are the three o'clock kickoffs. Starting off with Leicester against Aston Villa. I mean, Leicester, how can you draw with Everton? Come on, lads. One job. Um, and Villa, Villa's lost four in a row and just stinking mm. the place out. And I mean, I'm sure you listen to the Villa podcast. So it just sounds like they just want a break from the season more than anything. It's yeah, they've had a, I think they've had a week or so break because they were meant to play one of the FA Cup semi finalists, but four losses in a row. I mean, one more, and that's how Dean Smith got sacked. Um, I'm not saying Gerard will get sacked, but will they go into the summer thinking this is the guy to give 100 odd million to spend on whoever? It, it's going to raise questions. That's exactly the thing. That's exactly the thing. Um, Liverpool had obviously been talked about for Gerrard as, you know, this is his his stopgap on the way. And right now he doesn't look like he'll be anything of that level. So, you know, whether he's been a little bit distracted by that, I don't know. But since he took over at Villa, it's been a, a very much a mixed bag. Very, very much a mixed bag. And he needs to improve. Now, Leicester are one of the more disappointing teams this season because with the talent they have, I know they've had injuries, but with the talent they have, they shouldn't be ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of just one of those games with, where it's two teams that are capable of playing good football. There'll be a lot of good players on the pitch, but you do just wonder 
is there any real motivation going into this game for either team? Because they've got nothing really to play for, unless you like you say people are playing for their futures. Mm. So with Villa, uh, let's see, no Luca Dina, no Bert Traore, no Morgan Sanson, who's just been injured consistently since he joined. Dina has been no... a bad signing so far. Who? Dina. He's been Dinia. bad signing. I know. When you look at what Matty Target's done up mm. at Newcastle, like Dina, I, I, could, I could see sort of the logic in it, in that Gerard wanted a more attack-minded fullback. You could look at it and say... Matty Cash and Matt Target were very similar players. Which one's easier to upgrade on? It's it's Matty Target. But I mean, I you could have spent twenty seven mil in the midfield, which you could have. That's big, it. Which you, was the you biggest. You could have gone and got like you could have gone and got Borna Sosa for about half what you paid for Luca Dina, and then you could have put thirteen or fourteen million into a midfielder. Dinia you know, must be nearly 30 now, isn't he? I think he's 29, yeah. Let me see. Yeah. Look at Dinia. And he was, he he was is... Everton. Before. I know he fell out with Rafa, but he wasn't playing well either way. No, no, he hadn't had a good season. He's, mm. He'll be 29 this summer. So there's no sell-on value there. Yeah. At least with someone like Borna Sosa, you know, you're buying a fella before he hits his prime years. He's 20, 24, just gone. He turned 24 in January. So you could have got him at 23. And you'll get four or five years out of him, and then you could sell him at the same age that that Dina is now. And I think he would have suited how Gerard wants to play a bit better as well. Mm. So yeah, it's 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 been a strange one. A lot of their signings haven't worked. Gerard thus far hasn't really worked. Leicester, Leicester are just weird. You never know what you're going to get with them. They've got. Vardy not back yet. Samari's out. Traore's out. Bertrand's out. And indeed, he's done for the season. It's a game that doesn't really make much of a difference to either team, other than the fact that Villa would probably like to finish higher than 15. Like, as you said, they're facing five defeats in a row. Dean Smith got sacked for that. And since Gerard took over, it's it's been a slog for them. They haven't, they haven't really shown us anything to suggest that there's patchy at best. They've lost 11 of 21 games. Mm. They've lost 11 of 21 games. Considering they spent best part of 100 mil in the summer, add on uh, 30 mil for Dinier. Who else did they get in January? Coutinho. Coutinho, which is potentially 30 odd mil price, but they're paying probably 150 odd. Uh, grand a week you, yeah. you, you definitely probably pay a loan fee as well of 3-4 yeah. million like it is it's it's and it's not just the 100 million that they spent the summer gone they spent 200 million before that as well since coming up so and you know their owners from basketball they're, they're not exactly they're very ambitious mm. really ambitious and like the thing is you look at their team you think you know what there is something here like Emmy Martinez is a very good keeper. Matty Cash is very good. Esri Cons is very good. Mings is a train wreck. You've got to replace him. That's got to be your... Pro- if, if their priority this summer isn't replacing Tyron Mings, then Gerard is not going to make it as a top-level manager. If he can't see that that is the biggest problem in his team right now, 
the fact that Mings is bad and he's your captain, then there's big question marks. Like you said, big questions over Dina, especially long-term. How's he going to hold up? He's always been a player that picked up niggly injuries. Danny Ings is the same boat as well. Danny Ings, another I, I didn't understand that deal. Like, you could have gone and bought Tammy Abraham. But I don't think they needed a starter striker. Watkins they, never, see, played, never needed a partner. He doesn't need I do back. wonder if the plan was to move to more of a diamond midfield because when they signed mm. Emmy Buendia, like his best role is going to be as a 10. Mm. Now, if you've well, got, got Bailey him, as well, they couldn't play. Bailey's the um, Bailey was was a strange signing. It 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 didn't really make sense. Mm. He's a good player, but he's an awkward fit. Now you could have said, "Look, we'll go Bailey and Bendier on the right, Wendy either side, and then you've got Watkins up front." But I, I still would have liked another striker, even if it was just someone sure as competition, but not mm. someone who's like, identical in how he plays. There's far too much crossover between Ings and Ings and um, Watkins. And Watkins. And like as I said, you could have gone for Tammy. You probably could have got Ivan Tony, even though Brentford were coming up. You probably still could have got him for 30, 35 million, which would have been a better investment than, than Danny Ings. Well, even someone like Divock Origi, someone like that. Someone like Origi, someone, yeah, that's the thing. There was loads of options out there. Danny Ings didn't make a whole bunch of sense. You know, you haven't addressed your holding midfield role. You've got a, a group of good number eights. I think John McGinn is hugely overrated, but he's a decent player. Uh, Douglas Louise is a good player. Ramsey looks super talented. Chuck Wemmick is super talented mm-hmm. if they can convince him to stay. Like, that's your eights are sorted. You've got to go and address holding midfield. I don't know why Gerard didn't do it in the summer. Or in, 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 in January, well, they, went for, they went for Basuma, but it was like the last week of the window, wasn't yeah, it? Like, After spending stupid money on a left-back and Coutinho. Well, Coutinho's been good, to be fair. But, yeah. but you could have just kept Matty Target and bought... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bought the midfield, you know. It, yeah. Uh, I think this game screams of a draw, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it screams of a draw. I'll say... I think it'll be a fun game. I'll say 2-2. Yeah, I think that game can be anything, really. But... Uh, We'll move on, possibly the opposite type of game, Man City against Watford. And I think I'm right in saying this. I was listening to a show earlier on that said this. If Man City win, this then becomes the most one-sided fixture in in Premier League history. <laughs> uh, however, Pep's recent record against Hodge isn't great. Now, City have doubts over Stones, Walker and Ake. Mendy's obviously not going to play. Uh, Watford... Uh, Seralta's a doubt Kalu's a doubt Trusta Kong should be fit that's a big blow uh, Ba is still out Tudor Hernandez is out and Nkulu is still lacking match fitness I'm not even going to waste time on this guy City are going to hammer them it's probably going to be 4-0 and that's all we should talk about on, the, on this game it's going to be a one-sided whooping where a very very good team takes on a very very bad team and beats them senseless. So we'll just say 4-0, and we'll move on. What for the winning 4-0? Let's go. Um, that's what you just said there, Dave. That's what I'm going with. 4-0 or Watford. Um, right, moving on. Another failing pointless game. Norwich against Newcastle. I, If Norwich stay up now, it's probably topping the West Broms, the Leicesters, the everything. But Newcastle... 
Newcastle got back on track after a, a few losses uh, a few games ago. Now three wins in a row. Using more of the squad as well. I think we're seeing players like Almiron get get back up to speed mm. as well, and, and a certain and a few others. We're seeing Gimeresh get um, more minutes in midfield after settling in. But yeah, it seems like Newcastle. I don't know. Well, it's it's almost like hiring a manager that isn't Steve Bruce improves players. Yes, like having a real football manager. Just, I mean, the thing is, I said before how it went there when it was still Bruce. They, they were better than than they showed. There was good players mm. there, and I mean, you just need to look at Dubravka, Emil Kraft in recent weeks has been really good. Fabian Schär has been really good. Jolington, when not asked to be a number nine, is actually a good player, and but not this, the Andy Carroll. <laughs> that's exactly it. He's just because he's big doesn't mean he's a target man. Like, when he played at Hoffenheim, he was a false nine. I didn't see the conversion to a, being a box-to-box eight. To, to Engal- been, N'Golo Kante. <laughs> it's, this, is, this is Yaya Toure. <laughs> it's really impressive, and he's been really good for them, and credit to him. Um, Bruno Gomeric is, is an absolute joy to watch, mm-hmm. and Newcastle fans should be very, very blessed to have him. I, I don't see how Newcastle don't win this game. Um, like and Almiron, like you mentioned, he's he scored a worldie at the weekend. He was and he was really good, and he's very much a confidence player. So he's one that maybe could have an impact next season that we're not expecting. Mm. Um, two and have won three in a row. They're up to eleventh. A win here could put them in the top half. A win here could put them ninth if results go the right way for them elsewhere, which would be a hell of an achievement considering where they were when when Howe took over. Uh, Norwich have won one of their last five. That was at home to Burnley. Burnley should be ashamed of themselves. That even a draw there, and you'd be out of the bottom three right now. Um, I don't see anything for what for 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 Norwich here. They've won five games all season. They won their game for the month of April. I think it's done and dusted for them. I'm going to say. A 2-1 Newcastle win. It'll be a bit of a scrappy game, but there'll be some good football that'll break out at certain points. How far off do you think Eddie Howe is off um, manager of the season discussion? Because they were dreadful under Bruce. I know they were, money, but the turnover they have spent money. Hard. I don't know that you can win manager of the year if you take over that late, but maybe. I mean, maybe. The thing is, like, they weren't good under him for the first while either you know it, it has been this kind of 2022 turnaround so Eddie Howe took over on the 8th of November um, the 8th of November so in their first nine matches under Howe they only won one but they did draw four which was good mm. Um. It's basically from the, the, the late January onwards, they've won nine games out of 13, which is really impressive. Mm-hmm. But for the first eight games or so, it wasn't impressive. So, I mean, he, he, will, he will get some votes. I'd imagine he will get some votes. But what he's done really well is they've won the games they should win. Like their yeah. first win was against Burnley relegation battlers Leeds relegation battlers Everton relegation battlers Villa not particularly good Brentford were going through that awful run Brighton 
mid-table team, that was a good win for them. That was a win above where they were. Same with Southampton. Wolves is their best win under Howe. That 1-0 win on the Friday night is their best win. Leicester, again, it's a good win. And Palace is a good win. They have had some good wins, but they've they got momentum by beating the teams they should beat. There were some disappointing results in there, like drawing at home with Watford. That was a disappointing result. Uh, losing away to Everton. Disappointing result. I would say even drawing at home at Norwich and drawing at home with Brentford early in the Howe tenure. Disappointing. But he built built momentum by targeting games and getting points. And when he looked at a run of what was 10 games against Burnley, Leicester, Liverpool, Man City, United, Watford, Leeds, Everton, Villa and West Ham, he probably thought if we can get 12 points from that run, that's great. In the end, they got 15. So they've they've targeted the right games. They've gone about their business really cleverly. They did spend a, a big ball of money in, in January. There's no, no denying that. And I'm not really sure. I mean, Dan Byrne has done pretty well, but the key mm. to that defense has been Emil Kraft and Shar and Matt targeting on. He did drop his he did drop the team captain though. So he has made that big was the big already. decision. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a big, brave decision that you don't see a lot of managers make. But it does help when he's not your captain, True. when you're not the one that made him captain. Chris Wood hasn't really been all that good for them. I think that's fair to say. Just the fact that he's a number nine, I think, helped. It least. helps. It gives them a focal point yeah. in attack. I mean, Kieran Trippier only played three games. Yeah, and he was the big signer. And he was their kind of big... Signing. Yeah, and he played Leeds... <laughs> Everton and Villa, and then he got mm. hurt. Leeds, Everton, and Villa, and then he got hurt. Like three teams that weren't great, aren't great. Then he got hurt. They're, they've done so well without him. Even Gamerish, who is he's he's an outstanding footballer. Playing, yeah. That's it. He's, he's been a, a squad player. And Burns has been, the, last been the, uh, most played. Well, him and Wood have been the most played ones, haven't they? That's it. Dan Burn mm. and Chris Wood. The, the two big. Grocks that they brought yeah. in because sometimes you just have to have a couple of grocks. Mm-hmm. When you're in a scrap, you need a couple of a couple of grocks. You don't want you wouldn't really want Saint Maximum and Almiron if you were in the bottom three. No, but you'd want Chris Wood and Dan Byrne, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. So that's you know that's what the, the the key has just been getting the best out of the players that were already there. That's really what it came down to. Getting the best out of the ones that were there. Kraft, mm-hmm. Schaar, uh, Dubravka. Shelby kicked on and did had a really mm-hmm. good run. Sam Maxon's uh, probably the only one who's he's kind gone of back a, bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. Jolington's been much better. Uh, um, Joe Willock has been a lot better. Mm-hmm. Almiron's been better. Like The players that were there have just remembered that they're good players. They've just remembered that they're good players. And, and that goes to Eddie Howe. All that credit goes to Eddie Howe. So, look, fair play to him. Um, I, I, if he can finish top half, that will be a hell of an achievement. Mm. It really will. Absolutely. It'd be good. Well, they'll have an amazing summer anyway, full of FIFA-ish shinings, but we'll we'll see. But if they finish top half, yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the late kickoff on the Saturday, and it is a London derby. 
Brentford against Spurs. Now, Brighton stopped Spurs by playing 700 midfielders, Dave. Can Brentford do that? Uh, they can. They definitely can. Um, the issue I would say here is that Brentford aren't as good defensively as Brighton. Don't have Eves Basuma. And yeah, I mean, yeah, they don't have that kind of whirling dervish type of ball of energy mm. who just can break up every single attack. To be fair, we'll get to them, but Brighton and Casado and uh, and Wepu have stepped up as well. But we'll talk yeah, about them in a second. Casado and Wepu are, are mm. they're good players. They really are good players. Um, Brentford aren't as good defensively, but they are better going forward. They do have mm. quality in midfield with Norgard and Janot and Eriksson and, and Onyeka when he plays. Mm-hmm. So they are a good team and they're on a good run. What's it, four wins from five or five wins from six now? Um, they've managed to turn their season around and, and pull themselves up by the bootstraps and they'll, they'll be safe for next season. Yeah. So that's good. Um, I, I, I just fancy Spurs to win this one, though. I know they had that wobble last week against Brighton, but Kane had a stinker. Son had a stinker. I, I think they bounced back this weekend. Uh, Injury-wise, Tottenham, no Tanganga, no Doherty, no Skip. Now, Doherty's been a surprising miss for them because mm-hmm. his his power and his energy was helpful. Uh, Brentford, no Canos, no Anyeka, no Pinnock, no Zanka. So you're going to be... big misses, yeah. Especially at centre-back. They don't really mm-hmm. have the quality depth. Now, they can bring Ayer into um, the middle and maybe play Roar's left, but he's he's not up to much. I'll go Tottenham 2-1. Yeah. Because Arsenal play first as well, mm-hmm. I think Arsenal will beat United. I think Spurs will need a, a reaction. I, I think Spurs get the reaction and go back into fourth, having dropped out after Arsenal beat United. Yeah, and I think Conte mentioned it. I think Spurs need to learn how to draw games that probably should would be losing this season as well. So I imagine the week's been fun in training for Spurs players. Um, but we'll move on to Sunday, and we have four games. First up, Brighton. We just mentioned we talked about them. And the weirdest team in football, Southampton, continues. Um, well, this is just the weird club derby, isn't it? It uh, is. It is. Uh, Brighton, all the midfielders... I mean, they've kind of stopped playing Lallana. Casado's finally came in after signing, was it last January? Last January, yeah. yeah. Um, seemed to be playing more for Ecuador than Brighton, but he's came in. And Wepu's came in. It seems like they're just, again, just missing maybe something defensively whilst Webster's in and out with injuries and stuff like that. But the forward line, I mean... That Spurs game, they didn't play a striker and it worked for them, which says a lot about their strikers. Yeah, it does. That's been their issue all season long. They just they haven't been been good enough in front of goal. Like defensively, mm-hmm. they're a good team. Uh, even without Webster, they're they're able to hold it together to an extent. They're as long defend- as one of Webster and Dunk's fine. I think it's all right. Exactly. As long as those two are there, they're, they're going to be good. Veltman's okay, but I mean, like Cucurella, who's not a great defender, has played in the back three for them this season mm. at five nine and been okay. Yeah. Because they're just really well coached. Uh, no Shane Duffy this weekend. Basuma is suspended again. Two game suspension for the 10 yellow cards. Uh, no Alzate. No oh, Trasard. They're hoping he's back. 
Jakob Mulder been out for the season was a big blow because he'd been so good for them. Yeah. Um, At least McAllister's getting minutes now. Well. And he is, and he's playing well. Yeah. He is playing well. Southampton, Alex McCarthy is the only one out. And Foster. Southampton are the weirdest team in the league. Brighton are also a bit weird. This game screams the draw to me. Brighton have drawn <laughs> 13 games. Southampton have drawn 12. Um, they're two of the teams who draw the most in the league, along with Palace and Burnley, who've also drawn 13 each. It screams of a draw to me. I'm, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Uh, it's a South Coast derby, so it should be a bit spicy, but I'll, I'll go 1-1. You shout at me for calling it a South Coast derby. Every year, so I'm shouting at you for it. It's a South Coast derby. It's not. It's not a derby because, like, Brighton fans don't look at Southampton as rivals, really, because they've never really. Like, for so long, they weren't in the same division because Saints were a top tier team, and Brighton were always piddling about in the lower leagues. Brighton's real rival is Crystal Palace. Southampton obviously have the proximity of Portsmouth, so that's their real derby, and then nobody really cares about Bournemouth down there. That's good to watch, but... But it, it's, it's all I could think of. It, it's the Adam Lallana derby is what it is. Oh, you yes. know, it, It's the Adam Lallana derby. Um, and it, it, he sums up this game. Kind of pointless. So, yeah, we'll go 1-1. Yeah, yeah, it should be a uh, boring one. Well, it'll be, it'll, it'll be all nice football till it gets to the box. That's pretty much how it'll be. But we'll move on to one of the more important games of, of the weekend. It's Burnley against Wolves. And I think this is more interesting because, as you'll go through in a sec, Wolves have a decent amount of injury. I know Ralph Jimenez is back, but there's a few there. I'm pretty sure Neves is out, who's probably been their best player, uh, to my eye, at least this season. And Burnley, as, as you mentioned earlier on, are in man, new manager bounce thing. Situation at been so this should be an interesting game. It's it should it should be an interesting game. It it really should. Now there's no Neves. Pedence is a doubt. Hoiver's still out, and Jimenez I think is back from suspension, but he hasn't been good this season. Yeah, exactly. Um, for Burnley, Kilman's out as well. Oh, and Max Kilman's out as well. Yeah. Max, and that's a big blow. He's been mm. their best defender this season. Um, for for Burnley, obviously, Ashley Westwood suffered that horrible injury away to West Ham, so he's done for probably this, this calendar year. Uh, ben Mee, still not back. Eric Peters is out, and Goodmanson is out. But they are playing. They, they've been mm-hmm. good the last two games. They were unfortunate not to get the win away to Wolves or away to West West Ham. They did get the win against Southampton at home. Everything matters for them now. Wolves have lost two of their last three. I'll go the draw just because Wolves are a better team and Wolves are a top eight team and deserve respect. But it does feel like a game that could be very... Like, Wolves don't score a lot of goals. I mean, 33 goals in 32 games this season. They're not a team that really hurts you. They don't give up a lot of chances either, though. They've been very good defensively, only 28 goals conceded. That's the fourth best in the division. Another factor, Dave, Wolves haven't played since the 8th of April. 
they could be rusty. They haven't played in ages. That's a good point. I just noticed that because I think when the hell did I last see Wolves play? Because the City game got called off last yeah. weekend because of the FA, FA Cup. Cup. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. Wolves haven't played in a couple of weeks. Mm. Now, that could also work in their benefit because Bruno Lage could have come up with some sort of genius. But that is a good point. I- I'm gonna I'm gonna go the draw. And I think it's a good point for Burnley if they can get a draw. It wouldn't surprise me if they won because when you can put Veghorst up against Cody and Lump crosses in and Kilman isn't there, that's an advantage for you. McNeil looked much better against Southampton than he has in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. Cornet is playing well. Is Brown Hill is playing play- well. Why didn't Dice play McNeil and Dice made some odd decisions yeah, towards was... the end there. Um I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go the draw. I'll go I'll go one one. I, I don't think it's gonna be a very pretty game of football, but if Burnley can get ahead in this game, mm-hmm. they can win this game because wolves do struggle to score goals. And if you can get one against them, you should at least get a point from the game. So I'll go one one. Yeah, it should be. Well, it's important. I think Burnley would take a point now if you offered them uh, offered them that. Yeah. Um, moving on then, I think this is the first televised game of uh, of Sunday, and that's Chelsea-West Ham. The games are usually spicy here, but I'm sure I heard earlier on Chelsea have a similar... It might be worse, it might be similar. I can't remember what it was exactly, but a similar home record to Everton this season. And that is not good because Everton are terrible. I don't care if they're better at home or whatever, but Chelsea were the favourites for the title by many, many people. And to have a similar record, regardless whatever it is, is not good. Whereas West Ham, there's the Frankfurt game next midweek, I assume. Yes, it yeah. is. It is. So their focus and might be elsewhere. That's what that's what my thought here is as well. So Everton's home record, uh, played seven, drew, sorry, won seven, drew two, lost seven. Uh, for it's played seven, drew five, lost three, so it's the same amount of home wins as Everton. Uh, they have taken three more points than Everton. That's not good for, but it's not good. No, that's not good at all. That is that's really poor. Their away record's been really good Mm. 111, drew three, lost only two. Uh, their home defeats. Now, you can excuse a defeat at home to Man City, Mm -hmm. but you can't really excuse a defeat at home to Brentford in the manner of that game Mm -hmm. or at home to Arsenal in the manner of that game Mm -hmm. or draws with Brighton, with Everton, with a bad Man United and Burnley. You can't really excuse that. Like going into this Mm -hmm. weekend, they've got injury issues. Kovacic being out is is a big loss. Rudiger's got an issue. Christensen's got an issue. Hudson-Odoi is out and Chilwell's out. That's problematic. The only thing going in their favour is that West Ham have that huge game coming in midweek. They don't have Kurt Zuma and they don't have Issa Diop. Oh. And they don't have Ogbonna. So they've only got one fit centre-back. Oh, dear. So who knows what West Ham are going to roll out. Can Ben Johnson play centre-back? He might have to. <laughs> he might have to. <laughs> or Dexter, and the thing could is, Rice go back there? Rice could go back. Suchek could probably play there in a pinch. Mm-hmm. But when it's Mark Noble in midfield. That's the thing. 
you, you're going to weaken another position. So last weekend, it was Dawson and the op. With the op now out, I, the only player I can like Ryan Fredericks could maybe do a job for you. It's Ryan Fredericks or Ben Johnson. And I'd rather Ben Johnson because he's at least a good player. I think Ryan Fredericks is could they go back free Creswell left centre back and Johnson right centre back, Sufal and Masawaka. But Masawaka, I think, is no, he's back. So you could go that. Yeah. You could go that. That might be the best course of action here. Mm-hmm. I remember I can't remember. It must have been the League Cup. They had a young centre back, I can't remember the name or anything about it. I'm sure he was fine. I think in this situation, you just got to trust the young centre back. I think you do. I think you have to go because look, he might Liverpool. have to play against Frankfurt. Yeah, learn from Liverpool. Don't mess with the rest of the team. Find Nat Phillips of West Ham and just play him. Okay, the this season thus far, there have been, let me see. Ali Ajezi has played one game. I uh, played, uh, I think it might have been a European game. Harrison Ashby's a right back. Jamal Baptiste. That might have been it. Was it Genk or something when they were already qualified? I think. Yeah, it's one yeah. of those two. It's either him or, or Alezi, Aji Alezi. One of those two. Um, you might just have to, you might just have to say, you know what, we don't have an option here. Because if the op is only is if if either him or Zuma was able to play, mm-hmm. but it was a risk, you'd wait for the midweek. Yeah, you'd have to keep them for midweek. Now the other option, and Moyes just hasn't done this this season, so I don't expect him to, is to drop Rice back and bring Alex Kral into midfield, who's at least a good player, unlike Mark Noble at this point. Alex Kral's a very good player, but for whatever reason, Moyes has just not used him this season. Um, he's played played one Premier League game. Kante against Mark Noble would be. I know Kante has not had the best season, but that it's would still, be something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's a one it's a one sided beating. I'm going to go for the Chelsea win here in large part because West Ham have issues at centre back, and because I do think I don't. It wouldn't surprise me if Rice doesn't start, and if Bowen doesn't start, and if Antonio doesn't start, and they just hold them back for Frankfurt in midweek. Like, if I was Moyes, I'd strongly consider doing that. Mm-hmm. I think top four is probably over for them. They're seven, they're five points behind Tottenham. They've played a game more. I think your focus has got to turn entirely to the Europa League. It's three games in the Europa League to make yourselves legends at that club and guarantee Champions League football for next season. Who's and there three left in? Leipzig, Frankfurt, and Rangers. Yeah. So they they should beat Frankfurt over two legs. Should. Not will. Should. Yeah. But Frankfurt not beat Barcelona, so who knows? And their fans go everywhere. <laughs> In a one-off final, I think I back Leipzig. But you just don't know. Leipzig have never seen Michael Antonio in their life. They haven't, though. That's the thing. The, the physicality of... of West Ham could cause Leipzig absolute nightmares. It's not, it's not like they've got Canada and Upper Meccano anymore, is it? No, exactly. But they do have Gradiol, who's great, but he's not seen a Mikel Antonio before. Mm. Um, and I mean, they, I think they, I think they'd beat Rangers fairly comfortably if Rangers got through to the final. So, I, if I'm if I'm Moyes, I'm resting players for this game. 
I'm I'm punting on this one and saying I'm going I'm going all in on the Europa League. Um, West Ham's running is is tough anyway. Like they've got Arsenal, they've got City, they've got Brighton away. There's win the games they they could win. You know they can beat Arsenal at home for sure, but it's in between the Eintracht Frankfurt games. Mm-hmm. They get City, but it's a couple of days before a potential Europa League final. So they may punt on all of those games. Oh, is the and final they... in the middle of the season? Yeah, oh, it's the eighteenth, nineteenth. It is. It's it's, a, it's tragic to be fair. Um, I'm going to go three-one Chelsea. I think Kai Havertz gets a couple here. Mount will score a couple here because they won't track a runner at some point. Um, yeah, we'll go. We'll go the Chelsea win. Yeah, that kind of makes that game less interesting with their injury problems. But as you say, fair enough. West Ham. Go for go for Europa, go for history. Uh Liverpool Everton. Now it's the Merseyside Derby. I was about to say anything could happen, but I mean Everton only beat Liverpool because they had no players and were playing Henderson at centre back last season. I sh- all logic says Liverpool should win this game comfortably. Yeah. All logic does say Liverpool should win this game because Liverpool are a much better team than Everton and Everton are really, really bad. And and we've just mentioned Everton's home form, which isn't great. I mean, you know, when you win seven of 16 games at home and, and lose seven of 16 games, that's not great. But when you're home or when you're away form, rather, is one win three draws and 11 defeats. Mm. That's that's really iffy. And just to hammer home the point about how bad their home form has been, or their away form rather, one of their three draws was match week two against Leeds. Their only away win was match week three against Brighton. They drew away to United in match week seven. And they drew away to Chelsea in match week 17. So since October the 2nd, they've taken one point on their travels. One. Against the Chelsea team that we've just highlighted doesn't have good home form this year. Now, Manchester United's home form this year hasn't been particularly good either. You know, you look at United's home form and they lost to Villa, mm-hmm. drew with Everton, lost to Liverpool, uh, lost to City. That was a manager edging towards the sack as well. It was, it was indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost to Wolves, drew at Southampton, drew at Watford, drew at Leicester. Their home form has been very, very iffy as well. Uh, Brighton's home form has been iffy. And Leeds have just been a train wreck for a big part of the season. So... Everton's points away from home have all been against teams that haven't been good at home. Liverpool have been pretty great at home this season and they're in great form. They just wall up to United. They're confident. They've got one trophy in the bag. They're in another cup final. They've got a Champions League semi-final coming up at home this season. They've drawn with Chelsea, drawn with City and drawn with Brighton and won every other game. The Brighton one is the only disappointing one especially when you factor in they were 2-0 yeah. up and then the midfield just disappeared. Mm. So, question or do Liverpool rotate for this game? They will. It's Villarreal, but it's still a Champions League semi-final. 
they will rotate. They will, but it won't be heavy rotation, I don't think. I think Henderson and Jones start either side of Fabinho. But that's the midfield that slips up. It is the mid. No, it's the Henderson Ox midfield that loses, though. Mm. Look, Liverpool have been worse with Jordan Henderson in the team this year. That's undeniable. But I'm not risking Naby Keita or Thiago in this game if I'm Klopp. I'm keeping them both wrapped up in cotton wool for the Villarreal game in midweek because that's the game they're needed in. Is it at Anfield or in Spain? It's at home. It's a home game. Right. Um, and then you get the away, the second leg away. So I, I would say... Salah, Jota, Diaz up front... I think that's enough to tear them apart. I think you go Henderson, Fabinho, Jones. I think you go Trent, Canate, Virgil, and maybe Costa Simicus and Allison and Gold. Mm. I think that's, I mean, that's one, two, three. It's four players shy of Liverpool's best team. Now you can argue about Canate. I, I, I would rather have him in the team than Matip because of the physicality. But Matip's been really good this season. So I think most people would say Matip's the starting centre-back. Mm-hmm. Only foolish people at this point are claiming Jordan Henderson is part of Liverpool's best eleven. Nobody thinks Jones is. And as good as Jota is, I think everybody agrees now that Salah, Mane, Diaz should be the front three. So you start Jota in this game, you start Henderson, Jones, you start Canate, you start Costas. It's actually five players uh, shy of the, the what would be the best eleven. And um, I still think they win the game comfortably. And like I said earlier, if if Burnley get a draw, Everton go into this game in the bottom three. They find out 45 minutes before kickoff. You're in the bottom three now, lads. To me, I think that strikes panic in this Everton team. And I don't think they'll react well to that kind of news. I think Liverpool are going to hammer them here. I'm going 5-0 Liverpool. Oh, dearie me. That would be lovely. Um, I'd think the same. It's just if that midfield clicks. But yeah, regardless, we should win. It might just be a tad sloppier than the needs be. But that is the... Oh, no, there is a Monday game. I was ahead of myself there. Um, I don't know why this is a Monday night game. But Palace against Leeds, Dave, before we go. Palace against Leeds... It's a nothing game, really, mm. because neither side have much to play for. I suppose Leeds need a draw. 34 is probably enough to stay up, definitely, you'd say. Yeah, 30, 34 should be enough. But I do think I do think they'll look to pick up, obviously, a handful of points between now and the end yeah. of the season, just, just to be certain. Um, Palace have lost three games in a row, including the Cup semi-final. They weren't great in midweek. Um, against Newcastle, they lost to Leicester. They lost to Chelsea. I, I think they. I say, back. A, yeah. I say a point enough for Leeds. Their goal difference is honking. Jesus Christ! Oh, it's awful. Yeah, minus <laughs> sixty-eight goals conceded, worst in the division. Um, Leeds come into this game with no Tyler Roberts, no Bamford. No, Junior Furpo's back by the looks of it. Jamie Shackleton's back. Forshaw is out. Uh, Palace 
Milivojevic is out. I would imagine Michael Elise will miss that game. And Nathan Ferguson is out. I'm going to back Palace to win because I think three defeats in a row, I think they'll they'll bounce back and they're at home. Leeds missing Bamford means Leeds will struggle to score. Leeds struggle to defend on the best of days. I'll go 2-1 Palace on Monday night. And that actually is the last game because I actually remembered that one existed there. (laughs) And that is it then. That is us for the week. Thank you as always for listening. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your games. And uh, remember, we need to start soon having a conversation of whether or not Ben Mee is the next Pep Guardiola. See you Monday. Podcast Network.